politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American subjects yearning once again to be free to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house. Today is Friday, March 18th, and it is yet another good day to fight for freedom, but even more so to fight for the right to life. We have a bioterrorism attack on our people that has been ongoing. Two years, this is the two-year anniversary this week of 15 days to flatten the curve. The creation of the virus was obviously created long before that, and the reaction to it, both of them being bioweapons. Every day, we learn more and more about the scope and magnitude of the damage to our bodies, to our health, to our civilization. And it's not past tense. What did happen? It's still going on. Military mandate, healthcare mandate, still there. And the worse it gets, the less Republicans care. So we're going to continue on this theme today of basically quantifying the damage, but then also understanding that politically we don't have a vehicle to ride, and what do we do about that? To merge both of these, we're going to bring on Dr. Ryan Cole, one of our favorites. I call him the Pope of medical freedom in this country. He has a very special announcement to make that's going to merge those two issues, both the scientific policy side of the clot shots medical freedom, but also the political movement behind it um, and offer us a little bit of hope, you know, more than, uh, well, more than into years. It was around, you know, it was March of last year when we really started doing shows on the clot shots, the damage. That's when we started having Dr. Cole on. And and look, look where we are today. It, it's truly unbelievable. By the way, the Wall Street Journal is out with a big attack piece on ivermectin. So, the war is continuing because they cannot allow the truth to come out. Um, so we got a lot of news on that. We got the military scandal. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the DMED data, the sabotage going on in the military. This is the worst scandal in the military history, what, what was done to our troops. The truth will come out. We're going to have more on that. I am a little bit behind. I apologize for being out yesterday. Uh, you miss one day in this type of environment, and it's like you miss a week. So we do have a lot to catch up on. Our first sponsor today, folks, if the truckers have taught us anything, it's that we're infinitely more powerful when we stick together. The same goes for supporting businesses that believe in this country or what it used to believe in and your right to live free. That's why I'm a proud partner of Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. And that's the thing. I mean, it's often hard to boycott the big players for a lot of vital goods and services, uh, you know, broadband coverage or, uh, I mean, cell, cell phone coverage being one of them. But we actually do have an option. Patriot Mobile, they have plans that fit any budget. They're, they have a 100% U.S.-based customer service team, so they actually speak English. Um, and more importantly, they share your values. They support religious freedom, constitutional rights, uh, sanctity of life veterans, first responders. So go out to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. Use offer code CR for free activation of your plan. Veterans and first responders will save even more. Again, patriotmobile.com slash CR, patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. 
So, you know, before we get to Dr. Cole, I just want to do kind of a rapid fire, rapid fire of some of the news I've missed, we've missed, maybe you've seen it recently on what's going on. So we, it was revealed today that CDC removed a total of 30 of, no, 70,000, 70,000 COVID deaths from its dashboard, and it reduced pediatric deaths by 24%. So even the relatively no, low numbers that existed, it was inflated by 24%. They said it was a coding error. Yeah, right. Um, but imagine how much risk-benefit analysis has already been conducted based on a 24% inflation. And we know it's even more than that. You know, overwhelmingly, those children who died from COVID reported as such did not really die from it. So, again, it, it doesn't matter because all Republicans care about is, is Ukraine. Um, the latest UK surveillance report that came out on Thursday, by the way, they said they're going to stop them soon, of course. Again, this is not the double vaxxed, which got into ADE original antigenic sin, negative efficacy even quicker, but this is the three-shot cohort versus the unvaxxed um, in the age group 60 to 69. They are 4.25 times more likely to get COVID than the jab-free population in the same age. Other groups, it's you know anywhere from two to four times as much. And that, that my friends, is why Ukraine and Zelensky had to be the fourth shot because the fourth shot doesn't work. Indeed, there was an Israeli study that was just published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, we observed low vaccine efficacy against infections in healthcare workers. They're talking about the fourth, fourth uh, booster, as well as relatively high viral loads suggesting that those who are infected were infectious. Again, that's why Zelensky has to be the fourth booster. Okay? Then we have... The Stanford Department of Pathology, they published a study in Cell showing that the spike protein levels in the blood of the vaccinated people is e equal to, or in some cases, up to a thousand times more than someone infected with the virus. So they conclude that very easily, that it lasts for at least eight weeks into the body, all over the lymph nodes, the uh, um, <clears throat> the the terminals there in your lymph nodes. And then they they found something else very peculiar, <clears throat> and we'll talk about some of this with, with Dr. Cole. We find that prior vaccination <clears throat> with Wuhan HU1-like antigens followed by infection with alpha or delta variants. Okay, so they got the shot, and then they had afterwards, because the shot doesn't work, they got alpha or delta, gives rise to plasma antibody responses with apparent Wuhan-specific imprinting manifesting as relatively decreased responses to the variant virus epitopes compared with unvaccinated patients infected with those variant viruses. So, folks, what does this mean in plain English? It means what we've been talking about for 8, 10 months. Original antigenic sin, antibody-dependent disease enhancement. That when you vaccinate someone with narrow spectrum, suboptimal, non-sterilizing 
cheap antibodies that decrease your T-cell response, and it's geared towards strain A, what's going to happen, and we, we've seen this over time, the further away you get from that strain, the more your body has a stupid response to it. It's responding to, so you, you, you train it, again, it's like training to ride a bike, you know, with one leg or something. So then forever, that's what you're going to do. So now when, you know, whatever efficacy it might have had originally, that's how you get negative efficacy over time. And especially we saw this with Omicron. And now it might be that on steroids with the BA2 variant, this new thing that's floating around, cases going up in a lot of places. We'll talk about that with Dr. Cole as well, what, what his thoughts are on that. But that's the original antigenic sin, right? It, it reflects a decreased response. And, and the concern is it's going to do that not just with SARS-CoV-2-like viruses, but all viruses. It's going to wipe their immune system. Anything that comes along, all they're going to see is have explosive antibody production to the Wuhan strain of SARS-CoV-2 at the expense of every other aspect of your, um, your immune system. And again, we, we've known this already. The data seems to show it. But here you have a Stanford Department of Pathology study published in Cell. I mean, this is straight up. This is not some right-wing publication. They, they uh, conclude the extent to which vaccine boosting or infection with different variants will effectively elicit antibody responses to new epitopes or rather increase responses to the epitopes of antigens encountered previously. In other words, you're, you're misfiring. As in the original antigenic sin phenomenon described for influenza virus infection and vaccination, will be an important topic of ongoing study. Indeed, it is an important topic of ongoing study, except we have an ongoing vaccination mandate program that is destroying people based on this. Like, typically, you first study and then get a conclusion. And then you would introduce it to the public. Here we introduce it to the public, mandated to the public. Then we have studies seeming to indicate not just that we don't know if it's a problem, but indicate affirmatively it is a problem, ADE or original antigenic sin. But we continue to mandate it pending ongoing studies. But again, no GOP reaction. They just don't care. Again, I don't have time to get into the military DMED stuff. So much news going on in that. Um, but there is one more, well, a couple more points I want to mention. Speaking of ADE and original antigenic sin, did you know that the CFR, case fatality rate, in the U.S. has been going down 43% since late August? Okay, some of that has to do with um, Omicron being milder. Some of that has to do with uh, just, you know, there's so many more cases and they're recorded because of testing. So the denominator is greater. But the military CFR has gone up 54% over the same period. So the same period it went down 43% and went up 54% in the military. What is going on? What is going on with that? Our military has really been destroyed. So again, this is something that we need to get to the bottom of.
Um, I have one more story I want to go to with uh, with Vax Injury. But first, our, our next segment is sponsored by Patriot Academy. Um, it's really one of the few constitutional organizations I actually support. If you go to patriotacademy.com, you, sa- you could sign up to be a constitution coach. What does that mean? That means you host in your home all the people in your neighborhood that that share our values. They'll help hook you up if you sign up there. And you you don't have to know anything yourself. You download the slides and the videos from Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, as well as historian David Barton and others. And it will equip you to be a leader in your community. This is how we create our local resistance cells. Um, our Constitution coaches are going to be key. So again, you can find that at patriotacademy.com. Also, if you go to constitutioncoach.com, we're gonna, going to post the um, – the information for our next constitu- constitution defensive handgun training. Um, a lot of you have been asking me, when are we going to start up these fun gun classes again? Um, we've moved the venue from Nevada. It's now going to be in Raton, New Mexico at the NRA facility there. Um, I know it's close to a lot of you guys in Texas or much closer than than Nevada was. So block off the week of May 22nd. Good time to take an early summer vacation. It's beautiful there in the desert um, that time of year. Great facility. Um, it's going to be a five-day class. I believe it'll be about $100 a day. Still a good price cut from the typical price. So, again, at constitutioncoach.com, we will be posting the information there momentarily. Um, one other important thing I want to get to before we bring on um, – Dr. Cole, this is from a German professor of psychology at University of uh, Regensburg, Christoph Kubdener, and he posted a a preprint that's not going to get published anywhere on excess death, all-cause mortality in Germany. And he found an interesting thing. In 2020, there was basically no excess death in Germany. In 2021, there was massive excess mortality. Now, as you well know, 2020 was the year of the pandemic before the vaccine. 2021 was the year of the pandemic after the vaccine. Now, you might say off the bat, well, you know, Germany was one of those countries that kind of skated by in the first year. They didn't have much. So the excess mortality is coming from COVID. Well, first off, that in itself is a question. Why are you having exponentially worse COVID after the vaccine? That's number one. But number two is here's the problem. So we've been finding a lot, uh, life insurance, health insurance data, all sorts of data that hints to younger people with massive excess mortality in 2021. And some people want to say, well, it's the, 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 the virus, or it's drug overdoses, or it's uh, lockdown-induced pro, you know, preventative care. But as we've noted, the problem is that the timing, month-to-month, age-stratified, almost directly implicates the take-up of the vaccine. And that's basically what he did here 
in this report. And he has a substack called Metatron. M-E-T-A-T-R-O-N. It is in English. And he notes a few things. There's age-dependent pattern, okay? So the highest values are in age group 40 to 49, which makes no sense. If COVID is driving, that would be older. And also, they find a significant excess in January, but then it goes back to normal by March. Okay, so January, that was going to be the winter wave. They got hit with the winter wave of COVID. It goes back, but by March, there's, there's, there's no, and, and until the beginning of April, there's zero excess mortality again. But then in April and May, there's a significant increase in mortality, followed by a decrease up until August, and then August, September, a massive increase. What happened at that point? As you well know, unlike in uh, America, UK, and Israel, they didn't have a vaccine take-up in January, February, right? Continental Europe, they were negotiating with Pfizer and other companies, and it took uh, several months. They didn't start until when? You guessed it, April. April is when it occurred. Obviously, September, October, that's the booster take-up. Okay. So it does not coincide. Now, there's, there's three waves of excess mortality. The first one could be blamed on COVID, not the subsequent two. He notes that other possible explanations, such as postponed surgery for long COVID effects, are also implausible because such effects would have to affect also, and especially the older age groups. In addition, there is no reason why such factors would show such a course of excess mortality across the years observed. Okay, obviously strongly correlates with the take-up of the vaccine, and he tracks that perfectly at the time there. Okay, but where are Republicans? All they care about, what, what's their criticism of Biden? The inflation induced by the spending bills. Well, no, they can't criticize because they voted for all that. The inflation induced by the supply chain shortages because of the lockdowns. Well, they can't hit him because they supported that too. The crime wave. Well, they supported criminal justice deform. The border. They don't give a darn about that. The poisoning of our military and, and civilians alike. Continuing these mandates to this day. The airplane mask mandate. The CMS mandate. The DOD mandate. Still in place. No. What are they pounding that lectern? What are they furiously upset with Biden? That he is not doing enough for the corrupt neo-Nazi Zelensky government to suck us into another war, make pain for Americans with sanctions against Russia that will only hurt us and won't solve anything and prolong the death created by this war for the Ukrainian people. This is from Politico. Republicans try to out-hawk Biden on Ukraine aid. Okay? Our own president needs to step up his game. We're not doing nearly enough quickly enough to help the Ukrainians, said Mitch McConnell. Comparing Zelensky to Biden is depressing, meaning Zelensky is their big hero. That's their big hero. 
So $14 billion was not enough for them. They're falling all over the, their, their, their place. I mean, you got to read that. It is unbelievable article. Elise Stefanik, the new ranking number three Republican conference chair in the House. She put out a statement. Joe Biden has met Zelensky's request for assistance with weakness and delay. It is clear the United States can and should do more to support our Ukrainian allies. They won't explain. What, what does that mean? You sanctioned the hell out of Russia. You sent $14 billion. What more are you going to do? Again, one of two things are going to happen. Either it sucks us in militarily or it's not going to help and we'll just prolong the fight. By the way, Israel. Israel is a huge ally of Zelensky. The prime minister told him he should give in to Russia's demands. They understand that that's the only solution out of this. Okay? They have the eastern parts anyway. Don't join NATO. But the problem is that Putin is asking that Zelensky's government go. He wants Zelensky to resign. Zelensky is holding all the dirt and baggage of the Western governments that set up Ukraine as their private playground. We did a special show with a Bulgarian journalist uh, detailing that in great detail on Wednesday. So this is all about them, not about the Ukrainian people. But at the end of the day, what happened to the American people? What are we going to do? So we elect a bunch of Republicans. Daniel, we're going to crush the Democrats this election cycle. Yeah, so what does that mean? Well, we'll elect Republicans. Okay, so what does that mean? Uh, well, uh, what does that mean on crime, the border, inflation, spending, and most importantly, bioterrorism, medical fascism, and all of its analogs, the war on treatment, vaccine injury, the censorship. Uh... There'll be even more pro-Zelensky. Oh. So they're going to be worse on Ukraine than even the Democrats are. That's basically what we're voting for. Is this the only choice we have? So, folks, I, for one, am not one to be a victim of false dichotomies. As you well know, I've been eschewing those false dichotomies since the beginning of this program um, I will not become a victim of this. Are you the half Ukrainian party or the full Ukrainian party? I want an American party that will recognize the needs of America through the confines of our constitutional rights and freedoms. That's what I want. And I believe it was early last week or maybe the week before I did a show on how I think we're going to break out of that through running candidates, not through a formal party but loosely connected through medical freedom, but branching out broadly to freedoms on however we can get to the ballot. If it means a Republican primary, if it makes sense, do it there. But if not, run as an indie. Run as, you know, one of the kind of nebulous parties that have, but do have ballot access, but haven't succeeded because they haven't broken out of their very small window through a robust medical freedom movement. And I noted that we already have this movement both at the blue-collar end with truckers and at the more white-collar end with a lot of doctors that are very accomplished and are looking to run. And I didn't mention at the time that I actually had one person in mind that inspired this idea. So we're going to bring on Dr. Ryan Cole 
no stranger to this program, to make an announcement as well as go over all of the most important news to your health uh, that pertains to COVID, COVID fascism, and the shots itself. Dr. Cole, thanks so much for joining us again today at Blaze Media. Daniel, always a pleasure to be back with you. Thank you so much. All right, let's cut the suspense here. So um, you have an <laughs> announcement for our audience, which, which has certainly followed your work very closely. Um, I, I would argue so much so that it has saved a lot of lives. Um, you have an announcement that's not directly related to your work as a pathologist. Correct. Yes, I, I, as, as you've observed, just the disconnection between the parties, both parties, be it blue, be it I tell people, look, I'm not, I'm not blue, not, I'm not red, I'm not purple. I'm an American. I believe in the rule of law. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in principled living. I wore the uniform back in the 80s, served my country, and you know, I'm not a politician. I've, I've always just been, you know, a good citizen. I've always voted. I've always just thought, you know, it's a good thing to, you know, do our civic duty. But now we're in that time where people need to step up, like you mentioned. And so, yes, I am uh, running for governor of the great state of Idaho. I threw my hat in the ring, went ahead and registered. Um, I want an opportunity to serve the people. I haven't seen the people. You know, those wonderful truckers you just mentioned, I had the fantastic opportunity to meet with them when they were in Indianapolis and speak with them. Um, I've had the opportunity all throughout COVID, just people from all walks of life. And that's where I connect. I just connect to people, you know, come through the lab, ask questions, doctors, just regular citizens all around the country from, you know, COVID to, hey, now I have post-shot complications. I, I, I'm a people of the people, a person of the people, I'm sorry, person of the people. And I just thought, that's really what we need in, in politics, not just me stepping up to give uh, a run for governor a shot, but anyone who just falls into that, look, nobody is representing me anymore. I think we need people of all walks of life that, again, transcend party politics to step in and say, look, let's get back to common sense politics. Let's get back to common sense, constitutional founding father type principles. Hey, we, they were citizen politicians and they stepped in because they wanted to serve their great nation and and that's where i am i've decided you know there are good people in both parties i'm not here to judge i have people in my office that are blue blood democrats that say hey i'll help run your campaign i have people that are very conservative that step and say hey i'll help run your campaign whatever i can do you are a humanitarian that wants to see all the people do better and i thought and then, and, and, you know, Dr. Urso, who's been on your show, is like, Ryan, gosh, you know what? You, you'd be a great governor. And I, I'm always like, I, yeah, I'm always thinking, you know, come on, Richard. You know, I'm, I'm not a politician. He says, no, you're a great leader. People like you because you listen to people and you care about people. You would be a great governor. So with a lot of coaxing from a lot of friends and my hesitance, uh, just because, again, I'm not a political type. He said, that's exactly why we need you to, to do it. It's, it's not you running because of you. It's you running because the people need you. And so, yeah, that's where I am right now.
I'm starting up the, you know, still working on the webpage, still building a team, all those important things. But yes, I'm running for governor in the great state of Idaho. Now, this is a very unique type of run. It typically on this program, when we build, when we bring someone on, it means that they're running in some sort of Republican primary. Um, in this case, you want to make sure that on the general election ballot, whatever occurs before that, by the general election ballot, we are not presented with this false dichotomy, the lesser of two evils, the evil of two lessers that we've been entreated to for, for much of this past generation, and it's just getting worse, where it's okay, this guy wants to give $14 billion to Ukraine, this one wants $20 billion to Ukraine. Well, okay, what are you going to do about our freedoms being taken away, American freedoms, um, the homelessness that you have in Boise, the um, illegal immigration problems, the growing crime problems? Uh, the refugee resettlement, the unvetted people. You know, it's all about other people. It's never about what's best for Idahoans. You now even have the governors, not just the senators, but governors that are there to represent states focusing more on Ukraine than their own people. And then certainly you want to make sure that medical freedom takes a front seat, that people know this is not over. We're just discovering, and we're going to talk momentarily about this, the magnitude of these problems. How do we treat it, deal with it, hold people accountable, prevent this from happening in other spheres of medicine? Um, how do we reform the Idaho Department of Health? We have to make sure we have that voice. So how are you going to do this, and how do you hope that your example is going to catalyze a new type of candidate? Well, part of part of my platform, when people say, well, kind of what platform are you running on? Well, absolutely medical freedom. My goal is to be more like DeSantis Plus. You, you teach correct principles, you follow the rule of law, and you let the people govern themselves. I, my, my goal, again, I, I'm not red or blue or purple. I talk to people of all stripes. And, and when you're trying to make policy, when you're trying to decide on anything and everything, you bring everybody to the table. I always like to joke, hey, never bring an umbrella to a brainstorm. So you get people from all perspectives and say, okay, come up with all the ideas. And we've had so much censoring and shutdown, not only in medicine and this you know, COVID tyranny, but we've had it in politics as well. And by silencing smart people on both sides, you don't get things accomplished. But if you listen to people, bring all the ideas to the table, I, I like to say the cream will always rise to the top. And sometimes there's those individuals out there like, you know, me and some of my medical medical colleagues have had that have been out of the box ideas that have been incredibly successful. Same thing in politics. You bring people, thinkers of all sides together, and then you say, okay, within the rule of law, within the constitutional principle, how do we bring the, the policy and principles to bear that's going to follow the law, but also improve things? But by silencing people and by not dialoguing, by not conversing, you don't get anything done. It's just mudslinging from one party to another, the uniparty that doesn't represent anyone. And, you know, people say, oh, gosh, you know, but, you know, third party's not going to have a chance to win or an independent's not going to win. I say, yeah, and that's a defeatist mindset. What have you as a U.S. citizen seen over this last year? Who's truly represented, you know, that trucker, that farm worker, that blue collar American? Nobody. And so I, I say, look, bring everybody to the table. Listen, listen, yep. be, be a good judge of ideas and character. 
and the, the best ideas will always come to be, come come to the front eventually. So you're you're running as an independent. Yeah, I mean, okay. To your point, uh, I came a little late to the game. I was going to do that, and in order to get on the ballot without having to go knock a kajillion billion doors and get signatures, um, there was an opening in the Constitutional Party, and I said, "Look, Constitution represents the American people. Their party has a." a good platform on rule of law and constitutional principles. So I went ahead and registered there because it was my last minute way to, to get in. And, and it's a great party with great people. And it represents, you know, if people will look basically at the, at the, the platform and the principle, it's a very big umbrella. Yep. And, and I think our it, audience would agree, an, <laughs> would, would agree with you. I've always felt that on paper, the Constitution Party is exactly where where I was. The problem is typically you don't have a candidate with enough name ID or prominence running. Correct. So it's just always like, yeah, whatever. Um, but you're running on a different campaign with a national, even international movement behind you. Um and I think this is a blueprint for others. You would have run as an indie, which I think is even more effective just in the sense of broader appeal, no labels, which is really where we need to head. But this is what works right. for you in, in Idaho. And I think other people need to consider that in other states based on the filing deadlines of different laws. We have to make sure that at least come the general election, it's not, OK, the Republicans with their legacy flag waving issues that they don't even do much about anyway. Um, and then the issues that are the most relevant on both parties agree. We've got to have some sort of um, other option. I love this, um, and we certainly wish you well with this, and, and you're going to keep us updated. Now, typically I would ask a candidate, well, where they stand on the issues, what they do, but I'm going to switch back to Dr. Ryan Cole, not you know candidate for governor, but it's going to come back to it because – you will actually <laughs> run as a doctor. Typically, it's boring. We don't run on pathology, symptomology. But the, <laughs> I'm sorry, but the biggest issue that affects us, you have to understand this, because almost every adult, most adults in this country, and too many kids too, have been given a shot that, oh my gosh, what we have found about it. So I had you on beginning about a year ago. When we started talking about this, just exploring, whoa, there's some major signals that don't seem right. Look, at a minimum, we know if you have the shots already, the virus already, and if you're a kid, then you don't need it anyway, even if it did work. So certainly the risk is not known. We, we need to study this. Well, Ryan, here we are a year later, and it's not just signals. We have mounds of converging data as well as an understanding of the pathophysiological nature of the spike of li the lipid nanoparticles. We know so much more, and I want to methodically go through this, where we are a year later. What are some of the most significant concerns you have long-term? So all these people, we now know that tons of people were injured, um, more than we could have even imagined. I just talked about the DMED data and not just the DMED data, but um, numerous testimonials from doctors in the military that have dealt with this firsthand. Um, and I'm going to pull this up as you're talking. I'm going to read to our folks some of some of what we're seeing in the military. But now don't we know enough to know that it's not just the short term. There's long term problems. Take as much time as you need. 
Let's go through some of the things that keep you up at night the most. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and again, completely away from politics now. Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll morph it with politics. I'll just say, to your point, the biggest issue is medical freedom. Because historically, you look at Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao, Hitler, how did they institute their socialist slash communist regimes? It was through an, a takeover of healthcare. Well, we've seen politicians pretend like they're doctors and practice medicine without a license. We've seen, to your point, the DMED data. We've seen unfortunate uh, military leaders kowtow to chain of command and just say, okay, yeah, I'm willing to damage my troops with an unknown experimental shot. Um, across the board, it's just been this mass hypnosis. Okay, we're just going to do it. We're going to do it. You know, not taking into account that these are experimental. This is the greatest experiment on humanity ever. And then we're forcing people, at, you know, the threat of a loss of a job and livelihood. And so many people have been punished and suffered. And now long term, yes, people are suffering. <clears throat> and they're, they violated the Truth and Advertising Act federally, safe and effective, safe and effective. No, they're not. We're starting to see those chronic diseases that I brought to the forefront a year ago just with my background in immunology and virology and pathology. I'm looking at all these going, guys, gals, we can't be doing this. And now people are having those autoimmune diseases. People especially that are getting that second or third shot. And I tell people, look, quit your addiction to a toxic spike protein shot. Just quit it. Because every time you get more, it persists longer and causes more disease. The cell paper out of Stanford last month showing that, that not only that spike is persisting, but this synthetic mRNA that doesn't break down is persisting for at least 60 days. And that's when they stop their study. There's still no study that says when the body turns off, that spike is inducing myocarditis. Of course, we hear about that, but it's inducing neurologic disease. It's inducing autoimmune disease. It's inducing chronic inflammation throughout the body. That lipid nanoparticle lands everywhere. Like Dr. Urso says, it's like garlic. It diffuses and lands and goes everywhere. Now we have the studies to show it. Now we can understand why people are still suffering. And each time you get that greater dose of that poison, you're having greater symptoms. So that's my, the thing that keeps me up at night is, oh boy, you know, how many things diagnostically are we going to continue to see just slowly ticking up over time? In other words, a year and two months later, it's no longer enough to say I oppose mandates. And that certainly we need, um, you know, Brad Little, governor of Idaho, has certainly done nothing to oppose them other than saying at a state level, we won't add to the mandates and have our own state mandate, but they're not fighting back the way Florida did. Some other states, New Hampshire, legislature, uh, despite the governor, uh, the legislature has done terrific work. We'll, we'll, we're going to have a piece out on that. They passed about 10 good bills this week. It's terrific, terrific uh, week there in New Hampshire. But very few uh, governors, including Republican governors, have done much. Um, it's not enough to even do, to even do that. It's time now to get into the meat and potatoes, right? You can't say, well, yeah. we, we had some poison. Don't mandate it. Well, that's for sure. But, dude, we what we know already, and then, you know, it doesn't work anymore. So it's not like there's even a some degree of an absolute benefit. 
it's not just a net liability. It's an absolute liability. There's no benefit left if there was for a few months. So, whoa, we need to we need a complete freeze. So you're going to run, I'm assuming, on a complete suspension of these shots. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's the wrong shot for the wrong virus now. If you, you know, Omicron came along and now we're seeing, you know, the BA2 variant in Europe, it, it, the shot doesn't cover the the present virus. It's like saying, you know, when we're going to give you, give you a flu shot just so we can prevent diphtheria. I'm like, well, those are two two different viruses. Why would you do that? It, it's, it's illogical. The Wuhan variant that they made this spike shot for went extinct well over a year ago. It doesn't even exist. And now we're finding people that get the shot are getting COVID at higher rates when we look at the world data. So absolutely a suspension of these shots. And I mean, for heaven's sakes, and, and God bless uh, Latipo and DeSantis for saying, look, these shots are absolutely not for the, the, our healthy children of Florida. And like I said, DeSantis Plus, you know, I would say these are not for anyone at this point. It's crazy. There is no medical science that supports it. So, yes, definitely would stop that immediately. Yep. No, I mean, that's that, that's obvious. But now it's beyond that. Now we need a governor that's going to use the Department of Health not only to not promote them and distribute them, but to actually help. And all that COVID funding should be put into research, detection, diagnosis, understanding the scope of the injury problems, the, the, the breadth of them, you know, how far it goes, you know, we're seeing the lipid nanoparticles are really roping in a lot more than, than even the spike protein did and then how to treat it. So could you share with us for a while, you were talking about your biopsies, what you did in your lab. Um, you saw a lot of smoke and we knew there was fire. It was hard to quantify, but now we're starting to quantify some degree of this fire can you talk a little bit about some of the autopsies you've gotten to do? Because that that's really the big black hole our government refuses to fund because um, that would solve a lot of this. What have you noticed with people who died after the shots? Well, two, two things. So number one, I'm just going to point out the uh, some of the hospital deaths on patients that had actual viral infection from COVID. You know, in some of those patients, we see crystal deposition in the kidneys from remdesivir. So this deadly drug they're using in the hospital, so some of the non-shot-related deaths, definitely drug-related from a toxic drug that our government still continues to incentivize that the WHO said stop using in October, or I'm sorry, November of 2020. In 2020, they said, look, there's no benefit here. And you look at the data, and if you, you know, believe the death counts in America, we have 4% of the world's population and 20% of the world's death, and we're the number one user of this to toxic poisonous drug that's killing kidneys and putting them into organ failure. So some of, some of the uh, autopsy tissue that's been sent to me, there are these odd crystals in the kidney. We know from animal studies that's exactly how it accumulates, so that's number one. Now, number two... And there was a fantastic presentation from my colleagues in Germany just, I think it was March 12th. They had done a conference uh, six months ago or so saying, look, we're seeing deaths that look to be related to the shot. Well, now in this study, they did a phenomenal study. And I've been doing some of these on a smaller scale. And hopefully within a month or two, I've got a big enough data set I'll be publishing and doing a press conference like they did. That spike is landing everywhere. It is landing in the heart. It is landing in the spleen. It is landing in the vessels of the brain, that spike, that synthetic spike from these shots is depositing in tissue. It is causing inflammatory disease. It is causing disease in 
all organs of the body. It is going everywhere, just like the immunology studies we're predicting and showing, it's going everywhere. So in the handful that I've seen so far, I'm seeing the same pattern that, pattern that my colleagues in Germany were seeing. And, and this is why you stop giving a poison. This is why you stop any suggestion of something. In, in medicine, it's first do no harm. You know, like Dr. Peter McCullough has been emphasizing. And, and now that we have the Pfizer data showing how early there were so many deaths so early in, in January of 2021, by about the 22nd of the month, all of these shots should have stopped worldwide. Well, under the microscope and in the tissues, I'm seeing it. My colleagues around the world are seeing it. My medical colleagues, my oncology friends, my radiation oncology friends, um, my radiology friends from around the country are calling in saying, okay, those other signals you mentioned, the cancer signals, absolutely, we're seeing an uptick in that. And again, yeah, I know you're going to hit some of the DMED data, but it clearly indicates it, and I continue to see it. So it's really you what, know, what, what do you mean you continue match. to see it? Because you, you you were one of the first to uh, yeah. to talk about that, and a lot of people weren't emotionally prepared for that because that was the big one. Because that, I mean, it's devastating. It's long term, um, and I, I just want to be very clear because. Oddly, and it's not clear why, and there's different theories, and you know everyone who has an agenda will say it's their thing. But clearly, cancers in younger people have been going up, you know, over the last number of years. But you're saying beyond that baseline in 2021, there was an unmistakable uptick in cancers. There was, there was, and at first, you know, and I got ridiculed in the media because I. After the shots first rolled out, I saw a huge uptick. Now, that's normalized downward a bit, but now it's consistent more with the DMED data of about two to 300% in certain types of body cancers. And to your Any point, particular ones? Young, well, I'm still seeing more of the women's health ones. The endometrial cancers is, is still the one that's concerning me. And I don't do a lot of ovarian here, but I've gotten – I've received calls from colleagues that have seen an uptick in ovarian and that goes to the fact that the lipid nanoparticle concentrates in the ovaries. It dysregulates hormonal patterns in the body. And we also know so many mechanisms now from so many papers and studies around the world, how your immune system is getting shut off and put to sleep in certain T cell lines that keep cancers in check. And I won't get all nerdy on all the mechanisms, but there are plenty of papers now, about a dozen different mechanisms that explain why this would be happening. And then the plain and simple fact that now we're seeing, you know, a, a significant increase, you know, in certain cancers, it's still 200, 300%. And some of the DMED data, it's around three, 400%. And so that's my concern. Not everybody, and, and this is where I don't want to panic. We, we don't have those studies of who's genetically predisposed. What are the nutritional status or the vitamin D levels or the obesity status, the other cofactors that would contribute on top of the, the spike being present and the lipid nanoparticle being present, we still need to study all those other comorbidities that would predispose, say, this one person ends up with the cancer soon after their third shot or second shot, whereas, you know, another nine people don't. We need to be deeply looking at that from a genetics point of view. We have the artificial intelligence computer algorithms. We have the gene databases. Um, around the world, there's no reason these shouldn't be deeply explored by 
you know, the big research dollars that should be going to these instead of, you know, Fauci last year or saying, look, just don't do autopsies. You know, he, I, I keep saying you cannot find that for which you do not look. Yeah. So if we have this den denial mindset in medicine that, oh, the shots are perfectly safe and effective and don't cause anything, then you'll never find it. But if you're honest and say, look, okay, I'm a neutral party in all of this, I'm just going to step back and say, is there signal or isn't there? If there is, let's look at why. If there's not, then let's, be, you know, part, part of, you know, I'm, I'm going to mix politics and medicine here, but it goes to public health as well. And I gave a talk at an Idaho Freedom Conference recently. Truth plus transparency equals trust. And if you're truthful and you're transparent, then the people trust you. But if you're not, you don't earn the public's trust. You don't earn the patient's trust. You don't earn trust in public health if you're not truthful and transparent. Truthless transparency equals trust. So to all these mechanisms and studies, we need to be truthful and transparent so we can trust the data. So I, I heard through the grapevine you, you did an autopsy on a child that presumably died from the shots. Could you talk about that? Uh, toxicology mm. a little bit mm. yeah toxicologically it was after the shots and it was a little nine-year-old and there was inflammation in the heart and inflammation in the brain and i'm still waiting on some of the spike protein studies but this child hadn't had covid previously so you know the 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 working final hypothesis is you know once i get a few more of those studies back it is going to be spike protein just like dr gill in archives of pathology published the deaths of the 17 and the 18 year old that had spike protein and myocarditis, it's going to be the same thing in this little one. Um, healthy wrestler, same town. I don't have the tissues on that individual, but it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be a 22 year old healthy individual booster number three. You know, he didn't need it. All these young people do just fine with COVID and we're still in this mindset that everybody needs a needle in an arm. No, they don't. All the Scandinavian nations plus Taiwan plus others, you know, months ago said, look, these mRNA shots aren't for people under 30, uh, let alone at this point, they're not for anyone. And, 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 you know, several of my colleagues and I have been talking about this. It, it's not just COVID and the shot. Really what we need to be concerned about now is these large pharma companies continuing to say, well, gosh, you know, now we can do a flu shot, an RSV, an yes. HIV shot. The problem is the dangerous part of all of this is you cannot control lipid nanoparticles as to where they go. They go everywhere. And mRNA is turning off aspects, especially the synthetic mRNA, is turning off aspects of our immune system. It is not just this COVID shot that's dangerous, this gene jab. It is this modality, this mechanism, this platform. Lipid nanoparticle plus mRNA equals dangerous platform from here until forever until proven otherwise. There should be no shot given for any virus, any vaccine, any disease until we have long-term studies on these. This is really the message. We need to stop this platform altogether. mRNA plus lipid nanoparticle equals danger. And then my concern is even broader than that. It's just that it, it appears that there's a new paradigm of indulgence of pharma, that everyone is so conscious of pandemics and health that whatever they come out with, the government's just going to, you know, promote to the nth degree. So it's the therapeutics. I mean, it started with remdesivir, obviously, extremely toxic. But, you know, even their best drug, which is Paxlovid, 
Um, we have no evidence that it actually works other than they, them saying saying it does, and they lied about everything else with the shots, and it's contraindicated with so many other um, conditions, especially pretty much anyone that's vulnerable to COVID. So this is what I'm worried about is a new normal, that this is the new paradigm, the new EUA, the new whatever Pfizer wants they get, and similar large companies, and we need a governor who is not going to say, well, I, all the doctors say it's good, or the medical people say it's good. No, we need them to actually fight the meat and potatoes, because this is the problem What I'm seeing. Even the you know, somewhat conservative, more pro-freedom governors, at best, they'll say, oh, you know, I oppose mandates. But like you're saying, well, what if they said we're giving everyone hemlock? You're like, I oppose mandates. Okay, well, that's a start. But, you know, you got to at some point, you, you, you got to fight against the details. And I think that's what's important to run people like you in, in many other states that are willing to uh, reorganize the departments of health as a backstop. What do you think something like the Idaho Department of Health could be used for in terms of serving as a backstop for the people in terms of 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 overseeing these therapeutics uh, that the feds clearly won't do. Well, I think the number one thing is if you're a department of health, you should be promoting health. <laughs> how, how do you prevent a population from ever getting as sick? I mean, the simple message, and I laugh because here we are this far along the road of this journey. And what did I say over a year ago? Vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D. And you look at all the studies from around the world now confirming that, gosh, if your vitamin D was above a certain level, your chances of COVID and hospitalization and death were minuscule. And, and so promoting health, promoting, you know, the governments in many states subsidize different food programs. Well, what if we sit down and have a council of people that say, you know what, this is what's inflaming our population and causing disease, and this is what's not. I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to force people what they can and can't eat, but I'm going to educate. And, and a doctor, doctor means teacher in Latin. We need to be teaching. And from a governor's point of view, you know, here's, here's, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to criticize the issue, not the person. That's part of my campaign too. go at the issues, not the people. But when one surrounds himself with individuals that are yes men and yes women that only give you one point of view, then you can't ever make a good decision. You always have to have that oppositional voice because that oppositional voice, like, you know, this guy named Galileo that figured out, you know, the earth wasn't center of the universe. There are smart people that have an opposing point of view that can be incredibly impactful on the health and wellness in a community. And just because they're not, you know, the biggest voice doesn't mean they, they shouldn't have a voice. This should be about, you know, getting people – certainly, you know, people have a tendency to surround themselves with people with whom they agree. But one of the best things in life is that cognitive dissonance of hearing an oppositional point of view so you can really – either confirm or deny what your thought process is. I mean, if your thought yeah. process is strong enough that you can make the counter argument through data that, you know, you're thinking clearly great, but yep. if you're not listening to something else, you're not going to make the best decisions on behalf of people. Going back so for public to, health, that needs what to happen. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's what, yeah, no, that's what public health is about helping informing, not controlling. And that's, you know, they have Correct. all this money, especially a state like Idaho, you know, it's a small state. And boy, has that Department of Health gotten a lot of money, and they're using it for bad purposes. You're saying you could use it for proper education. Um, going back to the long-term injury, from looking at some of these autopsies, 
stuff you see in your lab, everything you've studied over the last year and change. So when you find the culprit for certain deaths and everything, retrospectively, what does that mean for people that got the shot? And, you know, prima facie, they didn't seem to experience much, if anything. And let's just put the wild card aside for a moment of the whole variation in vials and what's going on there and different dosing and who knows what, and we're still discovering that. But assuming you got the thing, got the full-blown thing, you got the 30 micrograms of, of Pfizer or 100 of Moderna. So are you seeing that this means you're not necessarily out of the woods, that it's possible, based on the pathology, that you could get the shot and sometime later develop long-term issues that might not have arisen immediately? You know, the honest answer sometimes in medicine is we don't know. Mm. Now, mechanistically, the concerns exist that, yes, I, I, I think a good, for example, is Europe right now. They're starting to see an uptick again. And I, I was listening to another really good interview with Dr. McCullough and Dr. Vandenbosch with uh, Jean-Pierre out of Canada and the co-exit program. And, and, and Dr. Vandenbosch keeps hitting on the important point he's been hammering for a year. We have tinkered with our innate immune system. That's our dendritic cells, our Pac-Man cells, the macrophages, and our T cells. Those are the Marines of our immune system. And some of the suppression of those patterns I'm still seeing in some of, some of but not everybody. And, and again, I'm going to keep, I don't want to panic people, but we don't know who and, and who not and why. But some people still have that immune suppression. And so now they're just more susceptible not only to another variant of a coronavirus, but also other viruses. And a lot of people have woken up their herpes family viruses, their mononucleosis, other things. And, and that's my concern is just how long is it going to take for the immune system to wake up to full functionality again in some of these individuals? And how long is that spike persisting in the human body? And, and going forward, it's, it's really, this is where just taking care of one's health. I say, you know, the best doctor you'll ever listen to is in the room right now. And that's you, because you know your body, you know your health, you know the things you need to change. And, and people need to start taking that responsibility. And this is where public health needs to start educating on how to be healthy, because there are ways to try to re-stimulate certain immune pathways. There are ways to try to wake up certain types of cells. There are things we can avoid in our bodies that will keep us from getting worse. So my long-term concern is immune suppression. And with mm -hmm. the immune suppression comes susceptibility to other diseases and autoimmune diseases. And, and it's persisting. I'm seeing it. Other colleagues are seeing it. It's just not one anecdotal guy. This is many, many laboratories, many pathologists now that have been willing to finally start talking to each other around the world. Yeah, wow. So it, it, it's not just, you know, oh, this injury, that injury, but the fact that you're getting sick from other things in itself is vaccine yes. injury because of the way yes. we understand it tinkers with your innate immunity. So, you know, what? I think now's a good time to get into BA2. Obviously, nobody cares about COVID anymore, but the irony is that... You know, we started seeing it in, in Asia, and, and I found it bizarre that it was taking off there. They had by far the worst death curve they've ever had way into the vaccination. 
Um, because until now they pretty much skated by, and um, you know, the two places that skated by were Africa and East Asia. Africa, they've held on. Asia, you know, that they're now having a problem. And we all know the different uh, variable there that plays the differential between those two continents. But then I figured, well, that's in Asia. Maybe they just didn't get enough of it yet, so they don't have immunity. But but now we're seeing it in Europe, and you know, likely all likelihood it's going to come to America. Um, there is a 26% increase in cases in England. They claim it's mainly BA2 now. And you would think by now England, kind of like us, would – we. Would, most people got it already, 80%, whatever it would be. Most people got it. What is going on? Is is natural immunity not working? Or is this is this a concern that for people who got the shots, it's going to prevent them from ever really fully in reaping the benefits of immunity from prior infection? Because I do know I'm looking at some data that the like 95 98% of the entire increase the last week or two in cases in England it was among the vaccinated among the unvaxxed is pretty much unchanged correct and and there are many mechanisms that explain this so number 1 yes it is more in the people that got the shots that's because they committed what we call original antigenic sin they focused their immune response on this spike now, this BA2, the spike really has nothing to do with the shot because it's so completely different. But when they got that narrow focus on a spike, it was to the detriment of their body recognizing 28 other proteins on this virus. So now you have a horse with blinders on just going down the road. He can't see the trees on the right and the trees on the left and the ditch on the right and the ditch on the left. So that immune system hyper-focused on this one area now, the, the N-terminal domain on the spike, you know, now we have these binding non-neutralizing antibodies to this area of the spike. Well, what does that mean? It, it means the body can't – it can bind to it. Those antibodies can bind to it, but they can't neutralize it. And so then you know, maybe some of it is antibody-dependent enhancement, but really I think what we have is a narrowing of that Marines of the immune system, that innate immune response. And we have a lot of innate T cell exhaustion broadly, not just for this BA2 variant, but for other viruses like influenza and, and, and many others. Why? Because you have to have a strong, broad, natural, innate response. We've led those cell populations by jab, jab, jab into an exhausted state. And that was kind of my point a minute ago. How do we wake those back up? And I think that's the real scramble. How do you re-optimize the immune health of a population? Okay, not judging anyone. You got a shot, great. You didn't get a shot, great. But those who got the shot were seeing, again, this narrowing of an immune response and an immune exhaustion of the most important line of your immune system, and that's that immediate innate response. And that would explain a big part of it in terms of why we're seeing that uptick again. And, and really, BA2, I mean, you know, genetically, I like studying nextstrain.org, which goes through the family trees and the really nitty-gritty, you know, scientific details of the viruses. This BA2 and the BA1, BA2 really technically isn't Omicron. It, it's a line that goes back to 2018, October of 2018. You can find genetically it existed. And with BA1, you can go back to May of 2018 genetically from the what we call genetic drift points of view. 
these are, these are kind of pre-Wuhan coronaviruses. Now, were these being tinkered with elsewhere? I don't know. I have no proof. Wait a minute. But have they been around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These wait are a minute. Wait, wait, wait. You're they, saying something big here. You're saying, if yeah. I get this clear, that just like Omicron, we don't know where it came from, but clearly wasn't a descendant of what was circulating in the preceding few months. It kind of no, just came. No, it, yeah. Um, you're yeah, saying it, this is yeah. not a mutation of Omicron. No, and, and you know, there's a high probability that these have just been circulating low grade worldwide population for, you know, the last three years, um, just as coronaviruses. And because of what we've done with the uh, immune suppression with the shots, now these ones are getting an opportunity to infect. You know, we have cross immunity to old coronaviruses that may have been keeping this one because it tends to be more like a common cold virus. And doesn't bind in the lungs a lot like the you know the wicked variants alpha and delta and whatnot so so this could have just been a a, a newer variant of a common cold coronavirus just kind of in the background but if you look at the family trees of these yeah no these these are kind of early backbone of wuhan pre-wuhan type viruses these have been around a while and you know now that they're kind of appearing it may be because we've tinkered with the immune system so yeah, I mean, I, I'm making the statement that these go these go well before, um, you know, alpha, delta, gamma, uh, mu, lambda, et cetera. These go well before that genetically. Okay, so that that raises the question: where they did come from, who originated them, and when? I mean, and that's that's been true for a while, and we still don't have a good answer. Well, and to they that. come off another back, background called an MRAC variant uh, back to 2017. So yeah, these have been around for a while. Yeah, and I don't know where. You're, that's a great question. Who knows? But it's it's scientifically honest. I'm I'm being truthful. I'm being transparent. Now you can go look at the data. Anybody can go look at you. Know, fact check me. Go ahead. So but, what do you what do you there, what do you make of of Hong Kong and and what you see going on there? They want to try to say BA two is is more pathogenic than Omicron and it is a big problem. What, what do you take of that? You're saying it's more like more like a coronavirus cold, but how would you explain all those deaths in East Asia? Well, again, how many people got a shot? How many were immune suppressed and immune primed for a hyperimmune response that's going to cause greater disease is one question. And a second question is really across the board, what population is being affected the worst? Sure, you have a big case rate, but it should stratify across the risk categories, just like the virus has all around the world so far. And how much of the data is real data? I don't know. Um, I haven't been tracking it. I've been traveling a lot the last week. I haven't been tracking the actual numbers in Hong Kong the last week. I know there's an uptick. I've been hearing that. But I think there's a lot of questions that need to be looked at. If it's cases, who cares? Is the hospitalizations and death? Okay. Now, we're giving, are they giving them early treatment? That's another question. How are they approaching it? And were they immune primed? Had they already pushed out a bad shot that caused this immune weakening is, is the other main question I have. Wow. I mean, th this is this is going to be crazy. You know, if this starts happening in the United States and we warned about it, it's not over with. The virus is not natural. The way we responded to it is not natural. The shots are problematic. So, yeah, I mean. They're the ones who wanted to talk about COVID all the time. Now they, they suddenly don't want to talk about it. And we're like, wait a minute. COVID itself might be one of the problems that you can never fully become immune. Um, 
you know, given what we did. Well, you, you can you can if you had a natural infection and didn't put the gene jab in your arm. You know, those those who got the shots, and this was the great data out of Qatar, you know, those who had a natural infection, you know, a handful, less than a, a percent, you know, still got COVID a second time, but no one had a severe adverse outcome in that group, whereas the shot group was completely different. So I think, you know, those individuals who have chosen to, you know, stay clear of this and stay clear of these experimental shots, I think there is a broader immunity because you'd never put that T-cell aspect of your body to sleep. So I, I am concerned for those, you know, again, the dose makes the poison. The more boosters you get, the worse off your innate immune system is going to be. You know, it's it's an addiction to a booster. Quit your addiction. You know, don't go get another booster. Go get some addiction help therapy. So you talk about putting the T-cells to sleep. I wanted to get into this. Um, my understanding until now was that, yeah, I mean, it just kind of <clears throat> suppressed them a little bit, but it didn't actually kill them. But I'm seeing some people right now that there is growing evidence that could destroy T-cells. And then tied into that, there's a lot of noise about an increase in HIV markers that somehow people uh. have the shots, given what's in the shots, they could almost test positive for HIV. And I don't know if this is an example of this, but I will say the before DOD manipulated the data, I could attest to the fact that there was a significant increase in quote-unquote HIV diagnoses in the military per the DMED data in 2021. What is going on with that? Okay, so those who already have a diagnosis of HIV, and there, there were a good couple of case reports. Those who already have HIV, if they get the shot, we've seen in those case studies that those individuals will reactivate their HIV and their actual viral count will go up. That's, again, because of uh, many of these mechanisms I've discussed before, you know, the toll-like receptors, seven and eight, that keep viruses in check, that get you know, put to sleep by the shots. So HIV-positive individuals, yes, are seeing an uptick in their, in their viral counts. But false positive HIV testing is now a concern. And we're seeing this more in individuals, again, after either shot two or three. Why? Because the dose makes the poison. It's the wrong spike to the wrong virus now. So you get that Wuhan spike once, then twice, then three times. There are four regions on this spike that have overlap sequence with HIV virus. And, and these are small nucleotide repeats that are identical to certain areas on the spike protein of the HIV spike. So what happens is at first you're, you may not make antibodies to these little regions. And, and sometimes these regions when your body uh, makes the spike, they may have a sugar that binds to them and covers them up, or you know they may fold just slightly differently each time. But eventually, when you get more spike, more spike, more spike, your immune system starts to say, huh, I'm going to make an antibody to that area now. So because we know that there's identical sequence on this synthetic spike, the body is saying, huh, I'm going to make an antibody to that. Well, that's, that's an anti-HIV antibody. In the laboratory, when we do HIV tests, the first thing we do is, is just an antibody screen. Do you have antibodies against HIV, which normally would suggest, okay, exposure, potentially infection. After we do that first antibody screen, now we reflex to other tests that are more confirmatory. But what we're, we're starting to see around the world is this subtle, oops, I've got 
an antibody screen that's positive for HIV, but when you do the reflex final confirmatory test, they don't have HIV. So, which is the good news, they don't have HIV. Yeah. But it causes a panic in medicine because now it's like, well, why are we getting excess HIV? And it's not just HIV. We're starting to see there's another test in the lab for syphilis, RPR. And we're starting to get false positives with that screen as well. And then you have to go reflex to another more confirmatory test. And, and across the board in, in medicine, now we need to say, and, and, and Stephen Hatfield talked about this early on, there's kind of this super reactive region on this spike, what we call a super antigen that had the potential. I mean, he was he's a, a very smart um, microbiologist, biologist, and he's looking at this going, huh, we're gonna end up with a bunch of concerning screening tests that are gonna end up showing positivity and now we've got to recalibrate and refigure out in lab medicine what's real what's not and, and so again broad swaths of the population getting more than two or three shots it's going to mess up and panic a lot of doctors over time in terms of oh does my patient have this other disease or this other one so that's kind of why that's happening boy is this thing a frankenstein i mean it does it does everything yeah. it's, it's it, I, I don't know that do you agree with the following statement that this thing wasn't a botched shot quickly created in six to eight months? <laughs> I agree with that statement. Moderna had the patent to that furin cleavage protein back in 2016, a 19 nucleotide region that we find both on the infectious virus around the world as well as in their shot. So, uh, no, this wasn't rapidly just all of a sudden warp speed. No, this existed. You know, you can't patent nature, but you can pack, patent synthesized sequences. It's, it's fascinating that this little sequence, and this was confirmed by multiple labs around the world doing sequencing, saying, hey, gosh, this is strange that this little 19 nucleotide repeat that codes for the CGG, CGG, proline, proline, you know, area in the sphere and cleavage, oh, it's held by Moderna. And we don't see it in nature. We only see it in this circulating Frankenstein virus and in their, in their shot, in their gene job. Yep. I mean, the, the two seem to both indicate that both were around for a while, and it all, again, gets back to this funny stuff going on in all these labs, not just in Wuhan, but now we know uh, uh, Ukraine, Georgia, all these places, certainly Africa. We're, we're way over time, but uh, folks, I, you know, I promised I'd give you a little bit extra today after being out yesterday. Two quick questions before we let you go, Dr. Cole. I got to get to the fibrin clots. You know, we had, um, you know, we had one embalmer on this show. Since then, Steve Kirsch has contacted numerous others that have publicly put their names out and have shown these. Um, they're, they're not even blood clots, like clumps of, of congealed blood. These white fibrin, you know, almost like if you're making dough to bake bread, you know, these stringy things that they, they claim they're taking out every day from bodies so my question to you, what pathophysiologically could create this in a way that you can go from living to dying at, at one moment, but it would have had to take a while for this stuff to grow, and how could the body survive for a minute with something nearly this dense? Uh, great question, and I've examined those, and I have microscope slides sitting right next to me here on my desk. Whoa. These aren't normal quads. 
No, I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I. So uh, what? What the heck are they? Into this, I could do an entire other show on this, but I can give you the cliff notes if you want. Oh, great! I waited um, till later for this, but yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> okay, the cliff notes. These are not normal clots, and the spike protein and Dr. Pretorius out of South Africa has done some phenomenal papers on this. The spike protein bypasses all the. You have this clotting cascade in your body. This triggers this. Triggers this. Triggers this. Triggers this. And then, you know, uh, along comes some en enzymes. You have your thrombin, your fibrinogen, your fibrin, and they all have these little splits, and then they start to, you know, glue together in order to form a clot. That's, that's a normal clotting cascade. And your platelets are involved, and, you know, sometimes it'll entrap some red blood cells. What these are doing is the, the spike itself. So she took all the platelets out of the plasma, but still you have your fibrin proteins and whatnot in the plasma, put the spike in, and the spike with out any platelets started to clump all the fibrin and i'm like oh my gosh so the spike in and of itself and and this is why you don't get another shot because we know it's the wrong shot for the wrong virus now but we know that spike alone is still the toxic spike in the shots and it can cause your blood to clump in ways and, and it's what we call an amyloid clot it's just proteins congealing together and the, the clots i have have tons of trapped white blood cells in them a normal clot is usually just some little pink fibrin with a few platelets and trapped cells. But this, I mean, this is all cellular. That's why these are rubbery and white. How can you survive it? Well, they kind of anchor to the wall and then a few more will attach and a few more will attach. And you've got this long stringy kind of almost long polyp that's kind of flapping in the breeze in the middle of the tube. So some blood is flowing around it. Mm until enough keeps sticking to it, sticking to it, and then just keeps getting long, longer and longer, and then it finally blocks off that vessel. So you can live with it for a while, but it explains why people are you know, fatigued and short of breath, because this may start in tiny little vessels, and you, got, and you have tiny little clots, and then they start to elongate, elongate, and then you have a longer clot and a longer clot. But these aren't normal clots, folks. And, and again, I would encourage people to read some of the writings of Dr. Pretorius out of South Africa. She's done a beautiful job explaining some of the mechanisms of, of why these are happening. So you can and confirm. It's, it, 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 it's synthetic spike related. Absolutely. So it's not, it's not a science fiction movie. You're saying this is real. This is happening. Could you confirm that it's happening in people who just get the virus or do we not know that yet? I think it's happening. Well, it was happening earlier in both. So this is my point. Is it happening in Omicron? Not really now, because Omicron doesn't really split that fear and cleavage and, and send the, the more inflammatory clotting S1 fragment floating around to the degree that the Delta and the Alpha variants mm. did and the Wuhan variant did. So if you get Omicron, your chance of clotting like these other variants naturally is very low. But if you get the shot, your chance of clotting is much higher. So that's why, I mean, without scientific doubt, I say, look, the shot is more dangerous for almost all people now than the viruses, especially if you intervene with early treatment in these patients. And, and so to continue to have this addictive pattern to a shot that can cause clot, literally the, the clot shot, like, you know, you and I have been talking about for a good year now. I wasn't wrong a year ago when I stated that. Now I have confirmatory evidence. So do you think this is the culprit for all of these people just dropping everywhere? I mean, you just Google sudden death and it's, or, or, or are there several things behind that? 
there's there's multiple mechanisms. Obviously, there's some strokes where that spike crosses the blood-brain barrier and can cause a stroke. There's inflammation in the heart where you end up messing up conduction pathways when people have a, a sudden cardiac event because their heart isn't sending right electrical signals. Um, there's clots that are happening, microclots and macroclots. There's there's multiple other mechanisms that would explain you know, death within a couple of days to a couple of weeks. And we know that spike persists for at least 60 days in the body and mRNA does too. So any death, you know, the window in which we're looking at post-injection death needs to be extended. The traditional vaccine, VAERS system would look at, oh, it only happened in this couple of days, that's related to the shot, anything else isn't. We know with the persistence of this, we need to extend that window. How many people had an adverse reaction or death within 60 days? after the shot because those mechanisms of action and the production of the toxic aspects are still in the body for those 60 days. So we really need to reformulate, you know, the, the, the data searches. And especially I do wonder those that get multiple doses over time, if there's some sort of cumulative effect with microclotting. There is absolutely. Yeah, the dose makes the poison in life. If I drink one gallon of water, I'll probably be okay. If I drink three, I'm going to drop my sodium level, have a seizure, and die. The dose makes the poison. I, I, I was making just kind of the, the analogy to some colleagues the other day sitting down chatting. I said, hey, if you pass your eggs over to me and I sprinkle just a little bit of arsenic on them right now, uh, you know, you'll have a tummy ache and lose a little hair today and tomorrow and maybe even go to the ER but if you never get another dose of arsenic, you're probably going to be fine. Your body's going to clear it and you're, you're going to say, but if I say to you each morning or, or every four or eight weeks, I'm going to give you a booster of arsenic on your eggs, you know, and they laughed like, of course I wouldn't do that because that dose makes the poison. It's cumulative. And so it, it, that analogy is basically, you know, what, what I'm saying with this amount of, of spike in the body and these mechanisms that we, we are clearly understanding now. And, and it gives every you know, medical alarm bell to say, stop the insanity now. There, it's all risk, no benefit. Yep. I mean, it's, it's an outdated virus anyway. It's just un, unbelievable. Um, I, 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 I'm still in shock. I, I'm in shock even more, more than that this happened, that there's no political will to even address what we already know and uh, that's why that's it just underscores why we need more candidates like this. We need a movement like this. Um, uh, one more minute before we close this up here. I'm, I've just been curious about this for a while. A lot of the data points we're using seem to indicate that younger people seem to be injured more and females seem to be injured more putting aside the myocarditis. Is, that, is there any reason to believe that's sure? That's just kind of, you know what some of the surveys and adverse reporting seem to indicate. No, that's, that's true. And, and interestingly, because of hormonal differences and receptor differences in the human body, uh, women uh, do have different hormonal patterns. So with the disease proper, men do worse. But with the shots and autoimmune reactions, the ratio shifts uh, to a preponderance of women. More women are harmed Hmm. Um, not by just this shot, but by other vaccines as well. And that's because of a propensity to autoimmune reactions. And I think part of it is hormonal. Part of it is the amount of receptors on different cell body types are expressed at different levels. So that, that's a truism. Wow. So that doesn't surprise you at all. But what about, I would have expected 
look, you put a spike protein protein in someone, I'd say you put the spike protein in a 75-year-old versus a 25-year-old, that's going to be more problematic. Why, do, why would the shots affect younger people more? Well, uh, there's – good question. So their motion, their activity is higher. You get that lipid nanoparticle in. They exert themselves more. They have more permeability of the pericytes of the heart, of the brain, of other organs. So, so blood vessels are usually nice and tight. They don't want to let anything through the wall. But if you're more physically active, you know, you have this little <laughs> diffusing garlic, this little lipid nanoparticle. And upon exertion, you know, that leakage through the gaps of these vessels is more. So you're seeing more damage because you're, you know, the elderly population, you know, tends to be a little more sedentary. And, and so I think part of it is explained just by physical activity mm. in these younger individuals. Wow. That's, that's something I never thought about. So with Dr. Urso's garlic analogy, you know, this would be kind of the stronger, more vigorous shake of the garlic dispenser. Yeah. So it will go further, uh -huh. yep. more will come uh -huh. out. I like that. You know, yeah. that's, that's what yeah, it is. Like I never that. thought of it, but it's amazing how it doesn't phase you. Like it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Younger and yeah, more female, um, which just demonstrates the absurdity all over the, across the board of taking young and female, you know, that, that they're lower risk for the virus, more at risk for injury. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Again, underscores the need for a candidacy like yours. I could go on for hours. We are one of our longest shows in a while. So, Dr. Cole, we wish you luck. Keep us updated on uh, when you get your website up and fundraising up. And please come back to update us more on what's going on just as, as you discover more from the pathology, from from autopsies. People need to know about this. They need to know how to get treatment. Uh, we're out of time till next week. God bless you all. And thank you for listening. Thank you.